The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. That was good. Um, and there's a line in that next to last song. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. And as you know, I uh, endeavor to preach a, a message that is... Uh, Christ-centric, it's, it's uh, centered on, on Jesus Christ, His works, um, I can think of, of no more comforting reality than the strength to follow the commands that God has given us, uh, that very strength comes from Him. Uh, you know, first, or, or Peter tells us um, to love one another from a pure heart. I'm, I'm just reminded of the reality that while I might be able to do things that look like love to you, um, or we may be able to do things that look like love to one another, who can do it out of a pure heart? That only comes uh, at the enabling hand of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, This morning, uh, Pastor Scott is gone. He is at a pastor's conference, so somewhere uh, Scott is is, uh, walking through uh, you know, some convention hall wearing a sweater vest, and um, now, you know, I found out through the grapevine that after my comments a couple Sunday mornings ago about sweater vests, some of you are now self-conscious about what you're wearing, and that was my, not my intention at all. Your sweater vests look great. <laughs> Pastor Scott's look foolish. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, I am actually uh, going to enjoy the privilege this morning of continuing through our, our series of 1 Corinthians. And you may be thinking, uh, you know, well, this is Pastor Scott's series. You know, he, he's been doing this ever since chapter 1, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, well, you know, uh, Pastor Scott approached me and asked me, would you like to continue? And I said, actually, I would love that. Because you understand what happens when, uh, when, um, when uh, speakers, pastors come up and preach, um, you know, whatever uh, is, is kind of um, striking in that week, that there are certain temptations that, uh, that we can fall prey to, and I want to do everything I can to guard uh, myself from that, and, and I think that that is Pastor Scott's intention as well. We, we certainly want the, uh, the Word of God instead of the opinion of man. Uh, so I am uh, overjoyed just to be able to, to continue with us this morning to walk through expositionally, verse by verse, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're with us here this morning for the first time, um, you know, we, we have, we've been going through 1 Corinthians for a number of weeks now. And, you know, what we deal with, what a church deals with um, when, we, uh, when, we inact, when we interact with 1 Corinthians are a lot of hard issues. And uh, last week, Pastor Scott dealt with some of those, and I am only this morning building on uh, the, the topic of last week and expanding on that a little bit. So we want to be upfront about the fact that some of these things are not easy to hear or to preach, but they are good, as is anything that comes from God's Word. Um, Read with me, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you can head that way, we're going to be referring to some other passages, of course. 
But we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, starting in verse 6. And this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you'd have to go out of the world. But I am now uh, writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Pray with me. God, we approach your word uh, wholly inadequate to, to, to do it um, a full measure of justice. Lord, we, we ask you, because that is true, to, um, to give us... A measure of grace this morning. Give me a measure of grace that I might speak forth true things. And so that we can all, myself included, learn from your word. What exactly is this that you demand of us? Uh, God, we ask for your grace. Uh, I pray that your son Jesus would be at the center of everything I say and everything that we hear this morning. In your name, amen. Preaching on a passage like this presents a few unique challenges. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of um, issues tied in this passage. If you picked up on some of those, I'll just list a few of those. There's a connection to church discipline and ecclesiology. Uh, folks, people write volumes just on the issue of church discipline. What does it mean? Why do we do it? Isn't that a bad thing to do? Isn't that unloving? Uh, uh, people write volumes just on that. Ecclesiology, which is just the doctrine of the church. How do we do church? What does church look like? How did it look in the New Testament? What should it look like today? Uh, this idea of leaven. You know, I, I, before I studied on this, I, I thought that leaven was just essentially yeast, you know, is what you use to make bread rise. Well, it's not quite that. It's, uh, it's something a little, a little different. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but basically, uh, you know, there are words being used here that we're not uh, accustomed to. We don't use them in our daily vernacular. Uh, there's also a connection to Christ's relationship with the church. You understand any sin that happens inside one member of a body of Christ affects the totality of it. In fact, it affects the whole thing. So what Paul says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There's also uh, a picture uh, we'll talk about of, uh, of marriage. Um, Christ's relationship to the church. There is a an illustration given in Ephesians chapter five of marriage. Um, 
that governs how our marriages are to be. Uh, there's a, ch- a connection to the to Jewish traditions, Passover. Why does Paul even mention Passover here? He's talking about immorality and church discipline. What does Passover have to do with anything? Um, there's a reality of the nature of what sexual immorality is. If you look over perhaps on the next page, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 says this, do, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If you are in Christ, you are connected to him in the most intimate of ways. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Am I going to, to with my actions... Make Christ one with a prostitute. That is what, in essence, sexual immorality is. Uh, and, and this is a whole another thing that people write books on. Um, and, and there's also, you know, toward the end of this passage, the word judging comes in. You know, it's, it's, uh, Paul basically says, judge those inside the church. Well, we're uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with that because in our 21st century, uh, postmodern, post-Christian American culture, we think, well, ju- who are you to judge? What is this idea of judging? And who is able to stand in judgment of another? Well, we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, should we even judge? But now, um, let's, let's get into the text. Uh, review with me uh, verses 6 and 7 as we begin walking through slowly. He says this, your boasting is not good. He's referring, of course, to to verse 2 there. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 2, he said this, And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed among you. And and here in verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There's this reality that while they should be mourning, they are actually boasting. There are things going on in the church about which they should be weeping. Instead, they are prideful. Their reaction to what is going on in the church shows that they misunderstand the importance at the basic level. You know, I think about, I think about movies that... that um, I love watching, I know this sounds um, insignificant and not really important. I love watching, uh, you know, World War II movies. Uh, And there are a lot of movies that they have created, uh, that they have made that that recount December 7th, 1941, at Pearl Harbor. Okay. And um, uh, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor, it was a Sunday morning. Most everyone was asleep, perhaps some were awake. Uh, you know, some movies portray one of, the, one of the admirals, he's out on the golf course out there at Hawaii. Another guy movie portrays one of, the, you know, one, of the, one of the army guys sitting in there talking on the phone, playing chess with someone over the phone, you know. Meanwhile, the Japanese are coming in. I have no idea what is upon them, and that is apparently what is happening here in Corinth. While they should be weeping... They are boasting because they do not understand the severity of what has uh, grown up in their midst, this sin, this unrepentant sin. Um, Paul begins his rebuke here um, and tells him, you guys have had the wrong response. And he, he gives this little rhetorical question, I, I suppose. Do you not know that a little leaven 
Leavens the whole lump. I don't know about you, but maybe perhaps your parents, when you were in trouble, they asked a question like this. Didn't you know any better? And the natural response is, well, yes, I did. You know, when you ask a question uh, kind of in the negative right there with beginning, did you not, didn't you know? Well, the natural response is, actually, yes, I did. I was supposed to. And, and Paul is rebuking the Corinthians here. He says, did you not know that just a little sin, just a little unrepentant sin affects everything that you do as a body, it affects your witness? It affects how you relate to one another. When you come into a church, perhaps there are people in your body who give you the cold shoulder. Do you not realize that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What affects one affects all. And we are confronted by this reality here that, that when Paul says, uh, don't you know that a little Leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, there's no such thing as sin in moderation. You understand that? You know, we think anything in moderation is fine, but there's no such thing as sin in moderation. Those two categories don't go together. As a matter of fact, Paul says that just a little bit can uh, infect Everything that you do. So he follows it with an imperative. He follows it with a command. He said, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. He says, work in your churches to be what you are in Christ. There's this reality that we have this in Christ. When God looks at us and we have been given the righteousness of Christ, God sees that. And he reckons to us the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, we are right in his sight. But there is a problem, and that problem is that we are still sinners. So we are always working toward this reality that we already, in some sense, have. The reason that this is important is because we as Christians know We know what our positional righteousness is. And we love telling the world, and I think we should tell the world, because of Christ, I am right before God. But the first thing that will tear down that witness is acting in a way as if it is not true. You understand that? And that is why, you understand, there are stereotypes for a reason. I don't like stereotypes. I don't like when when I tell someone that I am a Bible-believing Christian, I don't like the stereotype, oh, well, you're just, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a, uh, you know, you're a misogynist. All these other things, you know, you're a racist. All of these other things that just completely aren't true. I hate stereotypes. But there is a reason why stereotypes exist. And the reason is because someone in the history of the church has been guilty of those things. You understand that? So we need to do whatever we can to cleanse the old leaven, so that these things that we are charged with are not true. Cleanse the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, what does Passover have to do with anything? What does Christ have to do 
with anything. Why are you bringing Christ into the middle of this thing on, on, on why, we should be, why we should enact church discipline or why we should cleanse the old lump? Well, the reality is that every action that we have as a body and as individual Christians arises out of this reality that Christ has been crucified. And our old person has been crucified with him. We have been buried and raised to walk in new life. That is why Christ matters. That is why Passover matters. Because there is a past reality that affects our present action. I'm trying to think of a better word. There is a past reality that is Christ that governs our present health as a church that governs our present ministry as a church. All things are interpreted through this lens that Christ has been sacrificed. And if it is not the sacrifice of Christ that is motivating us, then what is motivating our ministry? I pray that it is only Christ. Lest we be open to the, unleaven, uh, to the leaven of malice and evil. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. There's this understanding that the only bread that was used in the Passover festival was unleavened bread. So it would make sense that if you have any bread that is leavened, it is improper. And here we see this connection between sin and leaven. He says, you cannot rightly worship Christ if there is leaven in your midst. If there is unrepentant, persistent sin in your midst, your worship to Christ will forever be tainted until you purge it. And this brings with it a huge responsibility as a church. What are we to do? How are we to go about this? We don't want to be kicking people out left and right. After all, aren't healthy churches the ones who have a lot of people coming to them? Healthy churches are not churches that necessarily have a lot of people coming to them. Healthy churches are, are churches who have a lot of disciples coming to them. Why should we cleanse? Well, the reason that we should be careful here, the reason that we should take care in how we guard the church is because we have been entrusted with something that is not ours. You understand? Now, I am all for everyone taking ownership of what we do here at Abner Creek Baptist Church. I am all for you saying, hey, man, Abner Creek is my church. I am, I am glad that I am there. I am glad that I am invested. I am glad that I can serve God through the ministry of that church. I'm all for that. But when this investment comes to a certain place where we say that that church is primarily mine... And we have crossed a line because we, we, we get to thinking that we can do with this church whatever we please. And that is not altogether healthy because this church primarily is not our church. This church is Christ's church, and that is why we must be careful with those who fill our ranks. And let's understand a little more about this. We have been entrusted with something that is not ours now, of course, we don't want to go on some kind of witch hunt, finding every little sin that we, that we could possibly come across and saying, hey, you, you sinner over there in the back row, you need to get out. 
No, of course, that's not our attitude because we understand that we're all sinners. I'm certainly not trying to offend anyone on the back row. The reality is, this church is not our. Pastor Scott emphasizes this. It, if this were our church, then it would follow that we can do with it whatever we please. This is not our place. If this happened, then I am afraid we would fall prey and be guilty with many of the Old Testament nations who did what was right in their own eyes. It's always followed by a judgment. Strange. But here we see that Christ is the prompter of our change. Because of his sacrifice, changes are demanded in our individual lives and in our corporate lives together. Christ is the prompter of our change, and he is the power for our change. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, we are and should be different people. We live as a people, our very ground is the sacrifice of Christ because he has changed us. His commands are not burdensome, First John said. The commands that he put on it, they're not burdensome. They're actually now a joy. In light of the glory of Christ and his passion that he has for his church, we cannot stand to see blemish in his bride. Now you understand there is, there are some things that, that we have to discuss here with Ephesians. And guys, back in the, in the sound booth, I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm not going to the, to the one that I say I'm going to. Um, so I apologize for that. I'll wash your car this week. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're, not, we're going to be a little later in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. There's this picture of, of marriage we see here. And somehow this, this picture of marriage has to do with, with who we are as, as a church. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, and here it comes. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That, or in order that, for the purpose of, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. The purpose, the, the reason that Christ died is to call back to himself a people called the church and to make them pure for him. We see this picture. Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. And just like every groom, the bride, he wants her to be pure. This is the picture of the church. This is why this thing called church purity is so important. Because wherever there is a blemish in our midst, we are presenting to Christ a bride that is unfit. And the only way to dodge this is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who offers forgiveness to everyone who will repent. We are all sinners. And I am tempted to echo the words of Christ 
I'm sorry, of Paul when he said, I am the chief of all sinners. But for Christ, Christ makes this problem right. And we can do this thing of presenting to Christ a pure bride. We can expect to have no power for this change if we have no Christ, however. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 14, kind of going backtracking here in the same, same passage. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Uh, Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in in the kingdom of Christ and God. Hard, hard words. Verse 7, therefore, do not become partakers with them. A a parallel to what we are reading in 1 Corinthians, where I have now lost my place. We are confronted with this reality, and you see it here in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. If you're you're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it may even be on the same page. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You understand? There is no one who is without sin. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And because of this, because of this reality called Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection three days later, we can hope to have purity in our church. If we are all repentant believers in Jesus Christ. But my fear, and I don't want to be naive, My fear is that we are not above the church in Corinth. That there is in this church, perhaps as in every church across our land, unrepentant sin. And because of that, the church body as a whole is being hindered. But the good news is that Christ... This one who has been sacrificed for us, the Passover lamb, he has been sacrificed. He brings reconciliation. And the good news is that God extends his grace to all forms of sinners so that we can be the vehicle. Our church can even be the vehicle to bring these people back into reconciliation with the one true God. Matthew 18 talks a little more about this thing of, of church discipline. Matthew 18 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, this is the point of church discipline. Now, any of you who have qualms with this idea of ever removing anyone or of, of ever confronting anyone with their sin, perhaps, it doesn't always come to removal. I understand that. But any of you who have qualms with this, understand that the purpose that we do confrontation and the purpose, that we, uh, the purpose for which we do church discipline is so that we can gain a brother. We're not some exclusive social club that is wanting to kick someone out because they're not up to snuff. Instead, God has entrusted us with this thing called the church. And he says, that church that I've entrusted to you with, that church better look like what it's going to look like up here. Because if that church down there does not look what it looks like here, then you are lying to everyone about what the kingdom of God is going to look like. If you know about sin in your midst and you are letting it go on, then you are telling a lost and dying world that it will be allowed in the kingdom of God. And that is what is unloving. Not practicing church discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter um, uh, chapter 6, I've actually already gone over. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22, this, this purity of Christ's church. You understand, this is the image which governs our understanding of this passage. Uh, we are to do everything we can to present to Christ a pure and unblemished bride. That is our responsibility. Um, verses, verses 9 through 12, moving right along here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you will need to go out of the world. What Paul, it, Paul, Paul seems to be very careful here. He wants you to understand, first of all, what he is not saying. Now, we understand this in our Bibles this letter is entitled 1 Corinthians, but it is not the first letter of a correspondence. This is the second or third, perhaps. And Paul is saying in my previous letter, I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. But here's what I did not mean by that. He says, what I did not mean by that is I did not mean for you to shun the non-believer. I did not mean for you uh, to, uh, to, to retreat into your, into your churches, into your holy huddles. After all, Jesus himself told you to be salt and light. How, are you, how is the salt and light ever going to be affected if the salt and light never touches what needs to be salted and lit? He says, so, so I'm not telling you to retreat and withdraw from the world. Instead, I am telling you that the problem does not necessarily lie outside of you. The problem lies within you. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers. Notice he includes other kinds of sin. Sexual immorality is not on an island of its own or the greedy and swindlers are idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. He said, I'm not asking you to leave the world. It's the only way you could be free of people who sin. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a viler drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Well, why would you want, isn't this unloving, Paul? Why, why would you want us to do this? Well, 
It goes back to what we, what we talked about in Matthew 18. The whole purpose of this is so that we may gain a brother. If you see someone who is living in blatant, unrepentant sin and you treat them as you would treat someone else, you are lying to them. You are saying to them that what you are doing is okay and therefore, if we do that as a church, we are saying it is okay with God. Now, Clearly, we need to have balance here. What does this mean? Does this mean that we treat them, that, 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 we, that we are hateful toward them? Absolutely not. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, telling someone the truth is the most loving thing you can do. You have this understanding here. Now, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? And here comes the fun discussion. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. We have this idea in our culture, even in our churches. Perhaps if someone confronted me with a sin they see in my life, if my response to them were, who are you to judge me? That means that I have completely misunderstood what it means to be a church member. Okay. When you covenant with a church, you are saying, please judge me. Please look into my life. If you see any impurity, tell me about it that I may repent because I want to be part of this thing called bringing to Christ an unblemished bride. It has none of this arrogance. Who are you? To judge me. Much of this discussion is bound up in our angst with the word judging. And of course, I've asked the question earlier how many times have you heard one say, Don't judge? Don't judge me. Who am I to judge what they do? Well, the reality is that, of course, we are not the ultimate judge. You understand that? We are not the one who decides what is right and wrong. We are simply the ones who tell what has already been told about what is right and wrong. Okay, we we see this. uh, We are not the ultimate judge. We have been entrusted by God to speak forth his words. Sin has already been judged. Therefore, we don't have have to worry. We don't have to fear. Well, I sure don't want to judge that sin. Well, don't worry about it. It's already been judged. All you got to do is just say what has already been said. We're prophets, in a sense, foretelling what God has already said. We don't have to worry about when someone. I had a discussion. I had a discussion one time um, after the. Uh, actually, this came about as as a as a response to a blog that I wrote. Uh, I wrote a blog after the Newtown, Connecticut shooting. And I made a comment about how the Newtown, Connecticut shooting allows us, or it forces us to return to this idea that there is evil in the world. You don't hear many people on the news say the word evil very often. Because the mindset of our world is that we're basically good people. And put into the right environment, we will do good things. Okay. Well, the comment had to do with... with, um, with uh, um, the shooter, 
happened to have, uh, or the shooter, it is now being rumored, had some kind of mental illness, and someone responded and said, you are calling all who are mentally ill evil. And I said, no, I'm calling all evil. <laughs> I'm calling me evil. You don't understand. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not making any kind of statement on this, on this one, one group or one demographic. Uh, I'm not calling all people who belong to this one uh, you know, uh, subset of our culture evil. I'm calling everybody evil, and I'm calling myself evil too. We are faced with the reality that we are to speak the words of God into the lives of one another as we examine one another's lives to make sure that we show a lost and dying world the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things are not easy. These things are not fun. But we can be assured of one thing. That when God gives us a command, he will supply us with the strength to fulfill it. He will give us the wisdom, even though now we see through a glass dimly. He is passionate for his church. He is passionate for the purity of his bride. I pray that we would be a church that is passionate for the purity of of Christ's bride. And the best place to start looking for blemish is within ourselves. Pray with me. God, we are confronted by hard realities. We are confronted by the reality that we are all sinners, but but we have covenanted together as a church. And we have said, you know what, because my godliness matters more than my reputation, I am going to allow a group of other people to to, to examine my life. Not to judge as you judge, but to speak the words of God into my life when they see something. I pray, Lord, that we would be in a body of believers who would remove the log out of our own eye before we seek to remove the splinter out of someone else's. But I pray for uh, first and foremost that we would be passionate about the glory of Christ. And Lord, as we enter into this time of reflection, as we enter into this time where we're able to look and reflect on what has been said and what we have sung and and everything that we, that we see within our own lives, I pray that we would be confronted with our sin and that we would not run from it, but that we would repent of it. We would not seek to hide it as Adam and Eve did in the garden, but that we would bring it to you and say, Lord, you are the only one who can make me right. God, we, we ask, come and change us in your name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.